0: What good news that uh, he's holding on. Reminds me of an old hymn that's kind of become new again called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I love that truth that he will hold us fast, that he is holding on to us. Because if we're all honest, sometimes we're weak and we're weary and we don't feel like holding on. And the good news is it doesn't matter because he is holding on. He will hold us fast. And he is a good God. Well, it's my privilege to, to have the opportunity uh, to teach this morning, and i um, thankful that uh, you're here, and thankful we get to dive back into our series that we're doing um, here in First Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy, and we've entitled it Be Strong in Grace, and this morning, uh, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and the title of uh, the message this morning is Pray for All People, Pray for All People. So if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, uh, if you would like to turn there to 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4, as we mentioned here, this, uh, in just a few minutes. But before we pray, um, I'd like to ask us all a question. Do we come here this morning with the expectation for God to speak to us? Was that our expectation when we, when we drove up and we walked in the doors and we walked into this room that God would speak to us? Uh, if we have that expectation, guess what? God's going to meet that expectation. Uh, he promises that when we meet together through the foolishness that the Bible even calls it, the people think it's foolishness, the preaching of his word, that he will speak to us. But our heart's ready to receive what he has to say for us. Not, not what I have to say but what God has to say through his word to us this morning. And, and if we're all honest, and hopefully we'll, we we are, and I'm being honest with you, sometimes I, I don't come in here with that mindset. We get distracted. We have things going on at home. We've got things we're going to be doing afterward and, and all these things, and we get distracted from why we come. Yes, we want to worship the Lord in song and prayer and through the preaching of the word, but, but God wants us to hear from him. And that's why we spend time every week in his word to hear his word, and yet our hearts need to be ready to prepare to hear hear that. So if you'll just humor me, um, I'm going to pray for all of us that God, would, in light of that, that he would prepare our hearts, that we would expect that he would speak to us through his word, and and I'm going to pray actually using some words of a song called Speak, O Lord. It was actually written um, by some people for a pastor in Arkansas who wanted them to be praying, the people to pray and sing, that God would speak through his word. That's where the the history of this song came about not too long ago. So if you bow with me in prayer, uh, we're going to ask the Lord to, to do what only he can do. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep within, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love, in our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all the purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity cause our faith to rise cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority words of power that can never fail let their truth prevail over unbelief or these things we pray expecting to hear from you in jesus name amen well last week uh Jay taught verses 18 through20. If you were here, I hope you were. if not, you can catch that on the YouTube page. And we were challenged to fight the battle well for the gospel to fight the battle well for the gospel and and to illustrate that truth jay took us to first kings 13 and shared this story about the man of god and the old prophet and even when he was sharing that that can get confusing you got the man of god and you got the old prophet and you kind of figure out who we we should read in the story who's who But it's the man of god and the old prophet and the man of god made a a prophecy given to him by god that was not favorable to king jeroboam and king jeroboam didn't like this much uh, in, in fact, King Jeroboam reached out his hand, if you remember, and, and he pointed to, to, to the, the man of God and said, seize him. And as he did that, the Lord froze. He dry, dried up his hand, and he couldn't pull it back. So can you imagine walking around like this, you just like this you're, the whole time, all right? And uh, King Jeroboam cried out for mercy, and the Lord restored his hand. Uh, King Jeroboam then invited the man of God to, to, to come back to his house and, and to eat and drink with him. And the man of God refused the invitation. How rude, right? Well, no, remember, because he, he did this because the, the Lord had told him, don't eat or drink bread while you're in Bethel, and you need to go back a different way by which you came. So the man of God took God's wor- word seriously and he obeyed God. And he went on his way. And as the man, proceeded, the man of God proceeded to go home, he was met by the old prophet who had heard about this whole deal with King Jeroboam. He probably wanted to hear it firsthand, so he goes and meets the man of God. And the old prophet invited him back to his place to eat and drink. But once again, the man of God refused the invitation because God had told him, don't eat or drink when you're in the land. Well, the old prophet didn't like the answer, so the old prophet said, we know from Scripture, that, that he lied. And he said, well, the angel, an angel of the Lord prepared to me. And he said, you're supposed to come back to my house and eat and drink with me. So the man of God, having no reason to believe the old prophet would be lying to him, goes back to the old prophet's house, and they eat and they drink. And while they were there eating and drinking, the old prophet did get a message from God. He did hear a real message from God. And that message was that because the man of God had defied and disobeyed God's word, had not treated it reverently, that he would die and not be buried. Well, sure enough, on his way home, the man of God was killed by a lion, and his body was left by the roadside. And and there's a lot to that story. Even as Jay said, there's a lot there. It's a fascinating story. Again, if you didn't read it last week, it's a fascinating story to read. But, But at least we know this, that God is very jealous when he comes to his word. He's very jealous when it comes to to receiving and obeying his word. God had spoken clearly to the man of God, and he should not have defied and disobeyed God's word. And when God has spoken clearly about something, and we neglect or defy his word, we're guilty. We're guilty, and there's consequences to when we neglect or defy or, or don't hold God's word in honor. And this has been a major emphasis up to our, this point in uh, chapter one of First Timothy, that God has spoken clearly about his gospel, clearly. And yet there are people in the church of Ephesus, not in the church of Ephesus, in our world today that are attacking the purity of the gospel, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that Christ was, died and that he was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the truth of the gospel, and people were adding to that. And and Paul was encouraging Timothy, this is why you need to fight the fight well, because the gospel is at stake. And we need not only to fight the fight well for today, but we also need to fight the fight well for the gospel for the next generation and the next generation. And aren't we glad that Paul, Paul encouraged Timothy to fight well, and they fought well so that we could have the pure gospel even today. It it wouldn't be mixed up and confusing. It would be clear. So we were encouraged to to fight the gospel because God takes his word seriously, his, his, his gospel seriously, and we too, by his grace, can fight well for the gospel so that our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors and our coworkers and people all around the world, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation can hear the pure message of the gospel that alone makes people right with God. Well, that's good news that he gives us the power to do that, and we were exhorted last week to join Timothy in that fight. Well, that brings us to our scripture this morning, so if you would stand with me as we read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 together. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You may be seated. We can trust that God will speak to us through his word this morning. Well, before we dig into our, our passage here this morning, um, I just want to remind us and, and help us understand the context. Now, now we, know all, we all know the three most important things when it comes to rightly understanding God's word, right? So you can, you can name them with me. Just, you, can, just, you can just say them out loud because we all know them, right? The first one is context. The second one is context. And the third one is, help me now, context, okay? If you didn't get right on the first one, you got it right at least on the second one and the third one. It's context, context, context. We've got to get the context right if we're going to understand the meaning of what God is saying to us through his word. So the first thing about the context we need to understand here uh, is found in verse one of chapter two. If you notice the word then, all right, then, I guess I didn't have that one up there. But just notice, if you got a Bible, it says then. So it, it, could also, it could also read this, therefore. It has the same power as therefore. And what do you do when you see a therefore in Scripture? You ask what this question, what's it therefore? What's it therefore? What's the therefore or this then? Because it's continuing the thought from the first chapter. And we, we all just understand, remind all of us that the numbers in the original uh, of this letter to Timothy, there was no numbers. So it wasn't like chapter one, chapter two. It helps us find our place. But he was just continuing on the thought from and tying in what he had just finished in what we call chapter one. Uh, so in, in, so in, that really points back to verse 18. This command, I trust you to you fight for the gospel. Fight for the gospel. He says, then, okay, fight for the gospel. So in the following chapters of First Timothy. Paul will give the church some instructions how to fight a good fight, how to fight well for the gospel. He's told him to fight well, and now as, as Timothy and the church of Ephesus follow through with instructions, the rest of Timothy, they'll be fighting well for the gospel. So there's a context in this verse. This verse says then, so it's pointing back. It's also important for to understand the context that in chapter 1, Paul has been focusing on the gospel and false teachers who have been attacking it. But now he's going to switch his focus, right? he's going to switch his focus from false teachers to the church and how we are to conduct ourselves in the church. All right? So we see this in the end of chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is a church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now notice that, that, that phrase there, these things. The, these things he's been writing about in chapters 2 and 3 have been about how to conduct ourselves in the church. And we're going to begin that section this morning. All right. So let me stress that they are not unrelated. The gospel and the defense of the gospel, chapter 1, are the foundation for everything that we do and say in the church. So, so they're related. That's why we fight for the gospel and this is how we fight, we we, we we act like people who are part of the church, and we've we been t- talking about elders and deacons and leadership in the church, which we're going to see that in chapter 3, first Timothy, which is one of the things that we can do and, and follow God's plan for the church so we can fight well. You see how it t- ties together? But this is the context. His focus is not as much now on the false teachers, but more about us and how we can apply his truth as the body of Christ. It's also important as we begin chapter 2 this morning to understand the context of the section of 1 Timothy is first of all in the assembly or the congregation of believers, public worship. And we'll, we'll, you'll see that, just the context will tell us that. He's talking about when we gather together, right, when we gather together, these are things that we should be about. And not only when we gather together, there, secondly, it's also for us to apply to our own lives individually. Because if we apply these truths that we see in, in, in chapter 2, and we're going to see in chapter 3, to our own lives individually, when we come together, we'll be much more likely to apply them together, won't we? But the first context here is in the gathered assembly of believers, those who have trusted Christ alone for salvation. Well, so the first thing that he wants to deal with when it comes to how we're to conduct ourselves in the household of God is prayer. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear that word prayer or you've heard a message on prayer or you've read about prayer. All right, Maybe you're like, oh, no, not another one on prayer. All right, But I'll tell you what I think. Of all the things in my life, that I feel like I'll I'll never arrive at. There's a lot more, at least I feel, I'll never arrive at anything, but this is the one that I just always feel like I could do better. I don't know about you, I always feel like I could pray more. I could pray more fervently. I could pray more scripturally. I could just pray better. I could just be better at prayer. Anybody feel like that? You ever feel like that? Three of you said yes. Okay, so it's just me and those three this morning. Um, I know how you feel, Jay, uh, now, so... No, but I, I think when I talk to people, when I talk to people often about the relationship with the Lord, then they, I say, hey, what's the thing you struggle with the most? At least in the top three is prayer. And most of the time it's the top one. I just struggle with prayer. So when you hear that the first thing that Timothy wants to address the believers at Ephesus and address us about in this letter, or Paul wants to address to Timothy and the, the, the people at Ephesus about is prayer, you may be thinking, man, couldn't he start off with something I'm good at <laughs> or something I feel confident about? Well, I, I guess he knew. It's been a struggle for people for, for since the beginning of the church that we struggle with prayer. A lot of that probably has to do with pride, if we're honest. Um, prayerlessness is a sign of pride, that we really don't need God. We don't need his help. We don't need him to move because we're pretty smart. we got to figure we're pretty strong. We can handle it. That's usually the case, and that's my case at least. With that said, let's, let's now an exam, look and examine, uh, look at and examine First Timothy two one through four. And as we examine these verses this morning, we're, we'll be challenged with three key truths concerning praying for all people, so that we might, in fact, pray for all people. All right. I'm going to go ahead, and I know people are note taker. I'm going to give you the three right there. The three key truths that we're going to look at this passage uh, through. This the exhortation to pray for all people, the benefits of praying for all people, and the reason to pray for all people. All right. Well, the first truth we notice in verse, verses 1 and the first half of verse 2 is the exhortation to pray for all people. Look with me at verse 1 and notice the words, first of all. Now, th- now this, th- this phrase can either mean first in sequence or first of importance. And context usually dict- dictates which one, and, but the great thing about this is, is here, Paul? This is first in sequence, and probably because it's first in sequence, it's of first importance. So he's saying, first of all, we're going to talk about how we conduct ourselves in the in the household of God. First of all, now now look at the that this other word here in this in this verse, urge. This means to exhort someone to act. Actually, we, we see this in another verse. It's very many people have memorized over the years in Romans twelve one. I In the King James, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, right? Or other, I urge you, I urge you. It carries the weight of a command. It's not necessarily an imperative, but it carries the same weight. I am urging you to do this. Now, this is Paul writing to Timothy, right? And Paul had set up the church at Ephesus and left Timothy there to to take care of the church and to get it in order and to to set up elders, deacons and elders and all these things. So it, it does come across as a command. He's emphasizing to Timothy and these believers the importance to pray. First of all, I urge you to pray. And I hear this too, just the way my mind's think: If you don't do anything well, pray. First of all, pray. Now notice what he exhorts them to do with, with the words uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Obviously, from these, verse, these words, he is exhorting them to pray. These are, we, often we use these synonyms with prayer, all right? we, these four words. Um, and some people would say they're just synonyms, referring to the exact same thing. But why would the Spirit of God have Paul use all these terms instead of just one? Why didn't you just say, I urge you there, then to, first of all, then I urge you that you pray, and just went on. Well, because he wanted, there's some kind of a little bit of difference here that he wanted us to understand and wanted them to understand. So when we think about supplications, your tra- translation may say petitions, it's requests for specific needs. Prayers has this idea of bringing these needs before God because he's the only one that can do something about these supplications, these needs. Intercession is to appeal boldly on behalf of others. We can approach the throne of God boldly and find grace and help in time of need. And then thanksgiving, this is the attitude by which we pray. We come with an attitude of thanksgiving, not of demanding God, but Lord, you're such a good God. You are good, you are good, you are good. And I'm coming with an attitude of thanksgiving, knowing you want to move in the lives of these people for these things. So it's the idea of leaving with these four four words, explaining the different types or different aspects of prayer, leaving no stone unturned when it comes to prayer. We're going to give our best when it comes to pray. I want you to pray with all that you are and every way you know how to pray. That's what he's urging them and us to do. Now, notice for whom we are to pray. Notice that it says there for all people, all people. Now, let, let me, based on, I'll, I'll explain to you in a second. But based on context, it could easily read pray for all kinds of pre- people. Is it possible for us to pray for every single person in this world individually by name? No. Impossible. Now, we could say, Lord, I pray for everybody, and, and that wouldn't be bad. And I'm, he's not preventing us. There's something else going on in this passage that he wants us to see. He says, pray for all people, and I, and, and I would say pray for all kinds of people. So why do I say that? Well, look at me here uh, at this context. All right? Can you see those... Uh, Circles and stuff on there. I hope so. I I, I had to look up how to do this on PowerPoint. So, circle and line. This is what I do to usually to a passage of scripture. This is nothing compared to what I do normally. It's all I take. I, I print off the passage where I'm going to teach, and then I just start marking it up. Usually a little bit four, few verses, so it makes some context. I think I printed out one through eight this time, or what actually one through ten, and and just started circling and marking and stuff like that. Well, one of the things I did is I noticed that all people. And then he says kings and all who are in high positions and I drew a line down to all people and then ransom for all, see this idea of all, and then Gentiles, Gentiles. So do you see what, why I say we're to pray for all kinds of people? Notice what, what, what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Not just all people, just all every single one and nothing wrong with doing that. And there's, we're going to see here a reason for him doing this. We're to pray for all kinds of people. Well, notice the example then, the first example he gives for all kinds of people there in chapter chapter 2, verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions, or most translations say all who are are in authority. All right, for kings and all who are in authority. Yes, Paul exhorts the believers in Ephesus and us to pray for those people. You know those people? the kings and those who were in authority? You know, know, those people. A few of you are getting it. Those people. Paul used to be one of these people in authority. He used to be one of those people. If you remember, he was given authority to go and persecute the church. And he knew that these people that were in authority needed prayer. They, They needed people to pray for him. And the very people we can sometimes have the greatest dislike for Government leaders are the kinds of people we are exhorted here to pray for with every different aspect of prayer we know how. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Not just the Psalms of David that call down the fire of God on his enemies. Now I know some of you are gonna go to there and you probably have those bookmarked. All right, I used to too. All right, but here we must mention what, what the context points to being emphasized of what we're to pray for all these people, including the government officials, the government leaders. All right, look with me. All right, we're going to jump down just a second. Look with me at verse four, who desires all people to be saved. The emphasis in our prayers for all kinds of people, including government leaders, is for their salvation. Let me say that again. The emphasis for prayer for all kinds of people, including government leaders, is for their salvation. This is the context here. God our savior emphasizing who God is who desires that all people all kinds of people be saved including government leaders that we don't like. Yes not only are we to pray for all people but to pray specifically for their salvation. Now remember it's the Lord who in his wisdom and for his purposes places government leaders where they are. Do do we know that? He's the one who places them. The scripture says this all over the place. I'm just going to give you a few examples. Look at Daniel 2, chapter, 21, uh, chapter 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. God removes kings. Now, we may be praying for that, all right? But he also sets up kings. They're there because God put them there. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Not only does he place kings and people in authority where they are, he turns them and uses them for his purposes. Think about Pharaoh and how God used Pharaoh, who did not want the children of Israel to, to go free. He used Pharaoh to set him free and to put him right where he wanted. Well, another verse, Romans 13:1, just to make sure you know that's also part of the New Testament. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist has been, that have been instituted by God. God places leaders where they are. Now, hey, there, we have a hard time with that. When we see leaders do certain things, you know, how could God, you know, God didn't do what they did, but he did place them where they are for his purposes. And we don't always understand his purposes, do we? We don't always understand the secret will of God, what he's up to but it's always for his glory and he's good. Now, he's not liable for their sin, but he does place them there to work out his purposes. The Lord exhorts us to pray for the salvation of government leaders that he has placed there. But Brian, you don't understand how evil some of these people are. I mean, come on. I mean, you you must not have been reading the news or you don't read it anymore. I guess you watch the news or whatever. You, You just might have been paying attention. Do you know how evil some of these people are? Yes, I do. I realized just how evil they are. And so did Paul. Understand that when Paul was exhorting Timothy and these followers of Jesus, Ephesus, to pray for their leaders, government leaders, kings and all those in authority, that Nero was in power. He was the Roman emperor. And Nero hated Christians. He was one of the most cruel people to Christians in the history of our world. One of the things it says about Nero that he did with Christians, he took Christians he dipped them in wax from head to toe and lit them on fire in his gardens to light his gardens. This is who Paul, when he writes this, is under in a sense as an authority, as a king. Yes, Paul understood, and I understand how evil leaders can be. Do you know somebody that evil? Maybe I know a few today. Well, hey, not any more evil. They're evil. Yes, I get that. But I also understood what the Lord said through Paul back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came, to save people like Nero. And let's go ahead and say it. Putin, or whoever's on your top 10 list of most hated rulers in our world today, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. So how is the church as a whole doing when it comes to praying for the salvation of government leaders? Well, if you look at social media, I would say the answer is that the church is doing a horrible job at praying for the salvation of government leaders. I'm not saying the Potter's House. I'm just saying you look at social media um, that's what we see. Instead, there are, there are by people who profess to know Jesus Christ and people who tr- truly do know Jesus Christ. I don't doubt that. Instead, there are personal and disrespectful attacks against government leaders by professing Christians. There, there are celebration posts when something bad happens to those leaders. There, there, man, look what happened to so-and-so. This is awesome. by Christians. There's whining, there's complaining. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about this? There are even wishes of evil against leaders. All out there for everyone to see. I'm not saying a person can't disagree with leaders. We should, and we should hold them to a standard, but not by personally attacking people, listen, who were created in the image of God, just like you and me. And God sent Jesus, right, to save sinners, I want us all to listen closely. I'm going to read this so I don't blow it. I want us to listen really closely to this next statement. Followers of Jesus need to stop talking or posting about people to other people and instead start talking to God about people and asking him to bring salvation. Let me read that again. Followers of Jesus need to stop talking or posting about people to other people and instead start talking to God about people and asking him, to bring salvation. Let me illustrate how silly this is about what often people do in the church. Again, I don't. I'm not saying I don't know if I follow anybody in here. I don't follow a whole lot of people. I don't, like, but 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 just the church in general. Let, let, let me illustrate and see how silly this is. My senior year of college football, I had my own room, just a little bed and a dresser, and that was it. And I I loved it because I just loved being there. I could be, go back and be quiet and rest and study and but was one of the team captains and, and uh, a leader on the team, and, and I had a lot of younger players would come in my room and talk. we talked talk about the things of the Lord. One time, that somebody said that the world was gonna end, and, and I had like 10 guys in my room. Is the world gonna end, Brian? You know, what's the Bible say? And we're talking about these things, but a lot of times they'd come there and talk about playing time. And Jason may, and Sean may relate to me. They'd come in and say, man, coach is not giving me a fair shake. Oh, so and so, he's getting all the reps, and I'm better than him, and uh, just whining. Man, 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 man. And I would just say, Well, why are you in here talking to me about it? I'm not the coach. I can't change that. I can't give you playing time. Why don't you go talk to the coach about it and ask him why you're not playing? He can change the situation. I can't. And in a greater degree, instead of whining and complaining about government leaders in our world today, why don't we go to God and ask him to change their heart? God, would you save so-and-so? Yes, we should pray for wisdom. All those things in this passage definitely insinuates that we should pay that they bring about peace definitely is in there. But we need to pray for the salvation. When's the last time we prayed for the salvation of our president or our vice president? I, I, I don't know about, about the governor of Missouri, our governor or our mayor or other government officials or, or Putin. When, when's the last time that we, we prayed for leaders? Well, by God's grace, we can do better in this area for praying for people, all people, including government leaders. This is the heart of God. Salvation for Jew, Gentile, government leaders, and on and on. The false teachers were teaching that only certain kinds of elite people could be saved or made right with God, particularly those who were relying on the law. So only certain people should be prayed for. Only certain people could come to salvation. And Paul will not let that go. no. We're to pray for all kinds of people, including the people we don't like, that they might come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we're to pray for people, to pray that God would save them. Well, the second truth we see in our passage is found in the second half of verse 2, which is the benefits of praying for all people when we pray in general and specifically for the salvation of all people, including those in high government positions, the Lord through Paul says that there's benefits to doing that, all right? Notice with me the word there at the beginning of verse 2 says that, or it may your translation say so that. Here's a purpose or a benefit. So we pray for the salvation for all these people, all right? There's a benefit to that. What are the benefits of praying for all people? Well, Look here at the next phrase, peaceful, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. This creates an environment where gospel ministry can take place. Both these words have an idea, a peace within and a peace without. Right, this is an the idea there's a peace within us, but also a peace around us. It creates an environment where gospel ministry can take place. When we pray for the salvation all right, of, of all peoples, it will lead to a peaceful and quiet life. And when our focus is prayer, is prayer instead of protest, then maybe we'll start to see some change in, our, in, in the environment around us. This is exactly what the Lord, through Jeremiah, told his people to do when they were living in exile in a foreign land under an ungodly leader. All right? Look what it says in Romans uh, Jeremiah 29.7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. These people were in exile. They were under an ungodly leader, and he tells them to pray to the Lord on its behalf, the city, and for its welfare. And in that, you'll find your welfare. You'll find peace among you. Well, not only does praying for all people bring the benefit of peaceful and quiet life that will be good for all, but notice the other one in verse two, it mentions the other benefit. It provides an opportunity to live godly and dignified in every way. Godly and dignified in every way. When our focus is on prayer for all people, then our godly and dignified lives can be a testimony to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. When we, when our focus, hey Lord, we're going to pray for the salvation of this leader. We're going to pray for the salvation of our neighbor. For our city, we're going to pray for you to move in the hearts of our people. When that happens. It allows us to live in an environment where our godly and dignified lives can be a light. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they might do what? Glorify you. No, glorify our Father who is in heaven. When they see that work to our life, a godly and dignified life. Now, some may be protesting here. At least you're not doing it with a sign or out loud. right? But you may be protesting by a sit-down right now. I'm not sure. Everybody's sitting down, so maybe everybody's protesting. I'm not sure, but you may be protesting and say, our goal is not peace and living comfortable in this world. Don't you read your Bible, Brian? Come on. We should be persecuted. That's what's promised to us, and I would agree. We should be persecuted, but look what Paul says later. We'll see this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice why we are to be persecuted It's for living a godly life, not for being a jerk. This is why we should be persecuted. Not because of posts that we make out there about how we're complaining about everyone, but because we're living a godly and dignified life following Jesus and what he calls us to do. That's why we should be persecuted. Why do people sometimes hate Christians? Well, because our actions and our attitude make it easy to hate us. To be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I mean, I, at least I'm, I'm, I do this sometimes. My attitude and actions make it easy for me to hate, for people to hate me, and that shouldn't be that way. A pastor friend of mine uh, had a lady in his church complain about being persecuted at work. He told me the story, and she told it to a group of young men years ago, and this lady had come to him, I'm being persecuted at work because I'm a Christian. So the pastor knew the, knew the businessman, the, the guy didn't know the Lord, but he went and talked to him about this. He said, hey, we've got a, a lady who goes to our church and she's complaining about being persecuted for being a Christian because of her stance of being a Christian and what she's standing up for. And he says, hey, Tommy, I, I appreciate you coming to me, but that's not why she's having a hard time here. She comes late, late to work half the time. Half the time she's just talking to other people and not doing her work. She's not been doing excellent work. That's why we're getting honor, not because she's a Christian. That's not why we should be persecuted. We should be persecuted because we're living godly, holy, dignified lives so people can see there's a difference. That's why we should be persecuted. Well, By praying for all people, including government leaders, the Lord may bring some of those leaders to faith in Jesus Christ. Think about that. If he would bring to faith in Jesus Christ some of our government leaders, in our, in, our, in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world, what difference would that make in our world? Wouldn't it make it a little easier for the gospel to spread all over the world if that could, took place? And he's done this before. This is a history with God. He's done this before, and he'll do it again. Or even if he, he doesn't bring the faith in Christ, he also, remember, he He can take that, that, that king and turn his heart and make him a little bit more uh, uh, nice or palatable toward Christians and what we're doing. It happened with the Pax Romana, if you know about that. Um, but way back in, in, near Jesus' day, the David the gospel spread because of this. Uh, this, the edict was made by a government. They wouldn't know it was for the gospel, it was because God was doing that. So if we would pray that God would change the heart of leaders and all people, then make the, the, the bottom line here is that that will make for a better opportunity for the gospel to spread. Isn't that what we're all about? That the gospel would spread to the ends of the earth? Well, let's move on. The third truth in our passage this morning is found in verses three and four, the reason to pray for all people. Look at verse three with me. This is good, there we go. It says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. We're to pray for all people because it pleases God our Savior. That that should be reason enough, right? This pleases God that if we pray for all people, it pleases him. Uh, we should want to please him. I lo- love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's our ambition. It's our goal. It's our desire to please the Lord. Well, one reason then to pray is for to please the Lord. But there's another reason in verse 4. Now look there at verse 4, this reason he gives who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We are to pray for the salvation of all people because this is the desire of God our Savior. This is his desire. God desires to rescue all kinds of people from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. That's his desire. That's his heart. He wants to save people. And he also desires that people would come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice what it says, It would come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge and trust in the truth of Jesus and his saving work, embracing what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection accomplishes for people. And this will lead to a life of living out the truth of the gospel every day. This is God's desire, rescuing all kinds of people, not just Jews or those who convert to be a Jew from the penalty of their sin, but this has always been God's heart, always been God's heart. Look at Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now, this has always been God's heart. Look, it says, Turn to me. This is Isaiah. This is a prophecy of Isaiah. 700 and some years before Paul writes this to Timothy, that God said, Call to me. He wants to save people from to the ends of the earth, all over the earth. This is God's desire. Now, let me briefly uh, address one more thing here in our passage. The phrase that God desires has sometimes been rendered in some translation, God wills that all people would be saved, which might lead someone to believe that in universalism, everyone's going to be saved. That's not the heart of this passage. We've already seen it's not the heart of the New Testament. That's not what the New Testament teaches. Think about this with me. God's desires or wills that, that we do not sin, right? Yet we sin. And some people think, well, if that's God's will, it's going to happen. Oh, it's God's will that we sin. No, it's not. We understand that. So there's different aspects of God's will, two different aspects specifically taught in Scripture. One is God's permissive will, all right? Things he commands and desires for us to do. But sometimes we do them, sometimes we don't. He desires we do them. That's his permissive will. Then his sovereign will, things that he's decreed before the foundation of the earth that will come to pass no matter what. So there's God's permissive will and god's sovereign will this is god's permissive will he desires that all people be saved but we understand they must first trust in the lord jesus christ right for forgiveness of sins to be saved so this is not this idea of of uh um universalism and i don't think anybody here struggles with that but some people may struggle with okay if that's his desire then um and why aren't people also everybody saved well, it just just we have to respond, right? And it also doesn't have any. It doesn't combat or neglect his sovereignty and salvation either. It doesn't neglect what we learned in Ephesians one or Romans eight, nine, and ten. Those beautiful truths of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are held in tension for us, not to God in Scripture, and we should leave them there. But we know we can say without a doubt right here that God desires all people to be saved, with no reservation. God, that's his desire, his heart that all people. Be saved. In a way of reminder, all kinds of people have been saved and they will be saved. There's no doubt about this, and we see this uh, in Revelation 5 9 through 10. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice what it says. People from every tribe, all, every nation and tribes and peoples and tongues. God's desire for all kinds of people to be saved is happening and it will happen but he uses the prayers of his people for their salvation to bring that to pass oh that we would pray for the salvation of those all people over the world well the main reason for all people all right to pray for all people is because god our savior desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth so i have to ask this question is that our desire is that our desire? Is that our heartbeat? That we would love to see all people, all over the world, big, small, rich, poor, authority, non-authority, be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Is it our desire? Is it your desire? I just briefly want to mention this. It wasn't Jonah's desire. If you know the story of Jonah, Maybe you haven't read the story of Jonah, except in a little color book, and it's Jonah in the well. We're not sure if it's a well, but it's a big fish that could swallow Jonah. And he, God tells him to go to Nineveh. He says, I'm going to Tarsus." He gets on a boat, gets thrown overboard, long story short, gets swallowed by this fish, and he prays, God, help. I'm wrong. Please help me. Spits him out, and he heads to Nineveh. And he, and he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel to the, these people, these enemies, all right, these enemies of Nineveh. And guess what happens? It says everybody repented and sacked off the ashes, even the animals. Now that's just using to to emphasize what happened. The whole whole place was changed. And what was Jonah's attitude? I knew you were going to save those people. He's all mad. His heart and desire wasn't lined up with God. That's why he didn't go in there in the first place because he knew what God wanted to do in Nineveh. He wanted to save people from all kinds of people, even his enemies from the destruction that sin brings and the penalty of their sin. Well, if this is our attitude, not like Jonah's, but like Paul calls us to, then let's be committed to pray for all people. And in order to help us prepare to, to put this truth the practice, when we walk out these doors, uh, to put this truth in practice, I want it to challenge us all to commit to pray together when we meet on Sunday morning in our life groups for these things. And so I mean, when we meet together in our life groups, when we're together with other believers, pray for a people group in the world that needs the gospel that they might be saved. Just pick one. How many people groups are there in the world, Jay, Jay that haven't heard? 6,500. There's 6,500 people groups in our world who haven't heard the gospel so they might be saved. Just pick one of those. We can pick one of those on Sunday morning. We can pray for this, this tribe, this people group that they might get the gospel so that they might be saved because it's God's desire. Also, pray for people you know by name and that they might be saved. You know people in your sphere of influence, maybe it's family members, maybe it's friends, maybe it's coworkers who do not know Christ. Pray that they might be saved. Pray for our government leaders by name that they might be saved. We should do that when we meet together in any kind of group. I also want to challenge us to pray for all these things individually at home. Uh, and and I, I was particularly convicted about this part this week. I, I've done that. I've done it publicly, of those kind of things, but not enough, not consistently. And I'm saying, if I want to stand up here and, and, and preach this word and what it really says, then I better, I better make some changes. So I'm making changes. I'm telling you, I'm making changes. I'm going to pray for our government leaders consistently. So here, this is, I have a prayer app called Prayer Made. I, I, I encourage you to get it if you, if you like to use apps. This is my Saturday, and these are the people I pray for on Saturday. That, there's more, but it scrolls down, there's like nine of them. But if you can see on the bottom of that, what I've got, government leaders, salvation, 1 Timothy 2:1 through 4. That's on my phone. And every Saturday, from here on out, I'll pray specifically for government leaders by name. On Saturday and I, I, I use this all the time and, I, and it's going to help me do that it's going to help me keep the commitment and, and, and obey God so I'd encourage you whatever your, whatever your way you do praying find a way that you can pray individually for all peoples and for I already have places for all, other all peoples for tribes and tongues and nations but I needed one for government leaders well with that being said about putting these things to practice let me read our passage of scripture one more time Oh, Lord, we have been uh, placed right in front of the truth that Paul passed on to Timothy and these believers in Ephesus, this truth that we are exhorted to pray for all people. So, Lord, we would be remiss to walk out of here this morning and not pray for all people. Lord, I I, want to pray for people groups in this, wor- in this world. Uh, Lord, you know them uh, that don't know Jesus. And Lord, I pray that the gospel would get to some of those groups so that they could be saved. Lord, I want to pray, Lord, for our church right here in this area. Lord, that we corporately and individually would Be faithful to pray for those we know. Lord, I pray you'd bring to mind to somebody right now in each of our minds that we know that needs to be saved. Lord, we pray that by your grace you would show them their sin and need for a savior and they would cry out and trust in Jesus as their savior that you would save them. And Lord, we, we pray for Government leaders, we, we pray, Lord, for President Biden. Lord, pray, Lord, we might be gracious to President Biden, not only to give him wisdom to lead our country well, but most importantly, Lord, that you would save him, that he would trust in Jesus as his Savior. Lord, we pray for President Putin. And, Lord, we want peace in Ukraine. We want peace in that part of the world. We want peace in the world. But, Lord, we want President Putin, more than anything, to meet the Prince of Peace so he will be at peace with you through trusting in Jesus. Lord, we pray for President Zelensky in Ukraine. Lord, we, we, we do pray for wisdom for him as he moves forward. But Lord, more than anything, we want him to be saved. I don't know where he stands with you, but Lord, you do. And if he doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you be gracious to open his heart to the gospel and he would trust in Jesus and be saved. Lord, may we be a people of prayer for all kinds of people. Lord, I pray you would amaze us with what you'll do through our prayers, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we leave here, let's all be about prayer, prayer, praying for all people. And uh, with, with that say, said, said, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my kind of ready break. Give him heaven, heaven Potty's house. Give them heaven, so.